0: just still around 50%, I think it's just around it right now, of folks who are actually LGBTQ+, plus, they are not out at work for a variety of reasons, including safety, right? Including all these microaggressions that Peter just mentioned, including the fact that they may live or work in a company whose values are not exactly aligned with theirs, but it's a job to them and they need to have it.
1: Hello and welcome to The Digest. This is the diversity and inclusion podcast that gets under the skin of the why of the allies and activists in this space. My name's Helen Maguire, and I'm the co-founder of Diversely.io, a platform that helps businesses to take the bias out of hiring. And I've always been fascinated by the reasons people get into the diversity and inclusion space in the first place. This is our opportunity to get some perspective on their journey and what they're doing now to change the game for everybody else. On this episode of the podcast, we have something of a first for the digest. Two guests for the price of one, John Botturo and Peter Gandolfo joining us from evolution. A double header to talk a little bit about their journeys into the training space and their special consideration around LGBTQ leadership. It's quite an emotional conversation because this is a journey that they've been on themselves and now something that they're helping others with both in America and across the world. So let's get into it. Peter, John, it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining. How are you?
0: Great. Thank you so much, Helen. Doing well. Thanks for having us.
1: Oh, good. You're most welcome. And as I just said, uh, we were just talking then. It's the first time we've had two people guesting on the podcast, and hopefully that will become clear in terms of why we're taking that approach for this particular episode. But before we do, I'd love just to hear in your words, um, a bit of an introduction on yourselves and, and what you're up to at the moment.
2: So my name is Peter Gandolfo. I am a partner and executive coach at Evolution. Evolution offers executive coaching, facilitation and training. We work a lot with startups and a lot with companies in tech. As we've grown, we've started to work with larger organizations as well. And in my practice, uh, I do a lot of one-on-one coaching as well as a lot of group facilitation, particularly with an emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Even a lot of my one-on-one clients are either from underrepresented groups or they're from dominant groups and I'm helping
0: them recognize the role they play in creating a more inclusive environment.
1: Amazing. Thank you.
0: And I'm John Voltoro. I'm also an executive coach and partner at Evolution. I work with Peter. The thing that's, that's kind of different about me is that I spent most of my career actually on the corporate side of the business, ending it as a chief marketing officer, who then became a coach. And I work primarily with executives. I do a lot of leadership training, uh, workshop facilitations, mostly around how to communicate better with each other at work and, and how to build safety at work so that you could get the best out of folks. Uh, Peter and I co-run a gay, bisexual, and queer men's leadership circle that we run every month and we've been doing that for four years now. So we spend a lot of time within the community trying to help people overcome some of the obstacles that they face.
1: And just to kind of track back a little bit, because, uh, you know, as you said, you kind of come at this from a slightly alternative angle, as many people do, actually, who, who guests on this, this podcast. So just to kind of track back a, a little bit, John, in terms of your journey into this as you said it was a bit winding. Where did it begin and I guess how did you or why did you make that transition?
0: It's an interesting story and the, the thing I think that's important to note is that I started off my career in marketing. I really wanted to do something different, but I ended up in marketing because people said I was good at it and I like understood the psychology of folks. And when I started my role, my very first job out of college, I was in a place where I felt like I was not going to go very far, but I had ambition. I had a lot of aspiration to do something. I didn't see anybody around me who looked like me, who actually was LGBT, but also just kind of like someone who was accessible. And when I started asking about what my next step was, I was basically told in no uncertain terms that I was going to not be able to succeed because people think of me as the gay guy. And at that moment in time, I felt like... I had to change my life. I don't want to be thought of as just the gay guy. I'm just a whole person, right? We, we in coaching believe everybody's whole. And this is a part of me. It is a, a very big part of me. So at that moment, though, I decided to get an MBA because I thought that was what would be socially acceptable and I'd be able to succeed at work. So instead of them thinking of me as the guy with who's gay, they would think of me as the guy with the MBA. And it totally changed the trajectory of my career. So I was in marketing for a long time. Sometimes when you're good at something, you get trapped into it because they pay you well for it. And I finally ended up leaving because I just kind of got fed up with the feeling of this is not right for me. But it took me 20 years, Helen, to do that.
1: And when this happened in terms of those comments and so on, at that point, did you not think, hang on a minute? I need to either get out of this area, this region. I need to look at a different career. I need to kind of reframe things completely because, you know, as you say, that's going to really narrow your potential. And as you say, it also made you slightly concerned about your career from that point on. Did you not kind of think, hang on, let me just get out of this and start again?
0: I did. I did. But you know, like many of us who are in stable jobs during unstable times, and also, who are doing you know relatively well financially compared to your peers? And I was living in New York City, a very expensive city to live in. It, it felt really hard to make that move, Helen. You know, there were many times where I thought, no, I'm going to go back. I'll get an MFA. I'll go back and do something different. Maybe I'll start my own business. But the financial means to do that were just never really accessible to me during that period of time. And only when it was, when I was, you know, in my Early 40s did I decide to make a huge shift in my life. And it was it was partly after, after I had kids, after my husband and I had kids, and I realized that my priorities really are with my family.
1: Yeah. And Peter, in terms of your journey into this, again, it's not been super straightforward. Do you feel that your sexuality has moved your career in a certain direction?
2: I feel like it's had some impact, maybe not as pronounced a way as John described, but I think my sexuality has has helped me develop a sense of empathy and curiosity for other people, particularly those whose experiences are different from mine. And so when I was a leader, I also came from a marketing background. Some of my strengths in managing others was allowing them to feel seen and understood and appreciated for what strengths they brought versus trying to fit a norm. And I think even in my decision to pivot out of of marketing, uh, my last marketing job was at Mattel. I think it was a recognition that my strengths might be slightly different than the strengths that were being celebrated. And I hadn't completely arrived at a place yet where I was wanting to lean into mine and demonstrate those as valuable within the organization, which I think they were. I had always had a passion for social science and psychology, but I knew that clinical psychology was not the right path for me. And I really liked the way that coaching allowed me to support people, be a great listener, Uh, help them make progress. But it was much more about forward motion instead of staying stuck in processing the past.
1: And talk to me a little bit about how you guys met. What changed, I suppose, when you met? And was it the case that you saw similarities in each other's journeys there? You know, what kind of sparked when, when that happened?
2: So I distinctly recall it was 2019 and a friend of mine, another gay father from my kids' elementary school said, we have a friend, he's a gay father, he's a marketing guy, and he's now a coach. And we think you two need to meet. (laughs) And I can't remember which came first. We either met for lunch and then John came to panel I led or the the reverse. I went to your panel.
0: Yeah, I went to your panel first.
2: So I was leading a panel for Pride Month on unpacking whether culture fit or culture ad was the better path to take in building a diverse team. And uh, John trekked several hours through uh, public transport, taxes and all kinds (laughs) of stuff, everything short of a helicopter. To get there. And that started the conversation. And I had already had the spark of an idea of wanting to do a gay men's circle, uh, but I didn't want to do it alone. And so very shortly after we met, I just asked John, do you are you interested in this? And then without hesitation, he said yes.
1: It's weird, isn't it, that you've both kind of been on such sort of similar journeys in a way. And I, you know, I guess I'm papering over a lot of uh cracks and so on here, but just hearing you, you guys talk about your backgrounds and how you came to this. Point and also, you know, I'm interested in your family situations as well. The fact that you both have kids—it's quite unusual. I mean, I, you know, I speak to people from the U.S. quite a bit. Um, obviously, we speak to people of all sorts of sexual orientation, but it's not that often actually that I speak to guys, um, you know, gay guys who who have kids. But you both do. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about that experience and and how that sort of changed things for you.
0: It's a fascinating question because you're right, Helen. There are not many folks and. You know, my kids are turning 12. I have twins that are turning 12 this year. And when we were going through the process of creating our family, there were no models really nearby me that I could look at and say, oh, they're doing it the same way we're doing it. And they're going to welcome and we're going to suddenly become this family. And it's, you know, it's unusual when, you know, same-sex couples have families because often there's a surrogate involved. So you're not always seeing the growth of the babies as they're about Mm -hmm. to come. Um, We were lucky we did because our surrogate was nearby. But, you know, the thing that, I think makes the biggest change for me personally, is that there's this notion that what you're doing has meaning. And for me, I felt like if I'm going to be a good role model for my children, I want them to see me do something that feels meaningful. I want them to see me do something that brings out the best in me and lets them see that you could be authentic and kind and honest and do something you love and still make a good living. And when they were four years old is when I made the switch from being a CMO to going back to school to become a coach. And yeah. it was the best thing I ever did because now they see me helping people. Sometimes, you know, they walk by and they hear me talking and they they start using the language and of uh, coaching. Sometimes they'll try to coach me. And it's been a powerful switch for our family because I think it was healthy for me to do it. And I think one of the things that I value is having healthy parents because I think they create healthy children. So in many ways, coaching has helped me become a much better parent.
1: And I guess, as you said as well, you know, at the beginning, you, one of the things that really bugged you about being known as the gay guy initially was that you're not seen as a whole person. And I think, you know, when, when you have kids that does bring a different perspective, as you say, and kind of forces you to explore sometimes quite uncomfortable things about yourself, actually.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to tell you a story that I have, haven't actually said out loud, I think, but this is a true story, and it was on my mind. And I'm not really proud of the fact that this was on my mind. But, you know, when, when my husband and I decided that we were going to have children, a part of me thought, oh, now I'll feel accepted at, this, at the leadership table because I was a C-sweeter. Hmm. But everyone at the table, they were men who would talk about sports and basketball and the colleges they went to. And I had none of that in common with them. I was a New York kid who moved out to Los Angeles, sitting around a table with Los Angeles-based and born folks. And I remember distinctly thinking, now when we're here, the commonality we have is kids. But I'm going to feel a little bit more accepted. And that was almost like this entry into a different world. I got to see the world from the white man's perspective, right? I got to see the world from the gay perspective. Now I was also seeing it from the perspective of the eyes of a dad. And that was the intersectionality that actually changed things for me that made me feel maybe a little bit more like I belonged, but it's short-lived because it's not actually real. Yes, I had that new designation, that new term as dad but it didn't bring us closer together because the things that we talked about at work didn't change. The Relationships didn't really change.
1: And do you think that's because of their role as dads versus your role as a dad? Do you approach fatherhood any differently to, or did you approach father any differently to, to them? Did you feel at that point?
0: Actually, no, we, I, you know, I think we approach fatherhood very similarly. We're all ambitious folks, men mostly. And we also did have a healthy life with our kids. Uh, We all actually coincidentally live in the same neighborhood in Los Angeles. What I think was different for me was the fact that I had to play two roles all the time, right? Like I was not only like the father, I was also the other father. Or as like some people like to say, who's the mother in the family? You know, which is kind of interesting when you're two dads. So I saw things from many different angles. And I think that's what was... A big difference and also my priorities were more my kids than I probably my peers who were men who had wives whose you know traditional expectation for them was to stay home and work and stay home and take care of the kids we didn't have that in my family.
1: Yeah interesting I think I think that's where I was kind of driving to and talking of kids you can probably hear mine screaming in the background
0: <laughs>
1: Peter in terms of your experience was it in any way similar what was your kind of trajectory through this did you always think you would have kids
2: I wanted to have kids since I was a, a young teen. Before I even came out, I did my senior thesis in college, trying to understand the impact of being LGBTQ on children. I think I was trying to prove to myself that it was okay. And thankfully, all the research I found showed that uh, children with same-sex parents grew up to be as, as happy and healthy and well-developed as, as children of heterosexual parents. and I was even in a long-term relationship with someone where we got along well, but he didn't want to have kids and I did. And I kind of laugh now because I was 34 at the time and I remember thinking, oh, it's too late. (laughs) But when I was newly single, it gave me a lot of focus in that I was only interested in dating people that were certain that they wanted to have kids. And I set a goal of having my first kid before 40 and our son was born six weeks before my 40th birthday
1: oh congratulations Yay. that's a Thank great you. That is a great achievement for sure and I' what what happened at that point I mean was it you know because I, I mean I can relate to this in terms of how it affected me I mean I started my own business because of my first my first child yeah. so it mm-hmm. does completely yeah. change perspective on things but how does it work how did it work for you?
2: it had a huge impact i in the span of six weeks, I started my 10th year in the toy industry. My son was born and I turned 40. And when I came back from six weeks of paternity leave, it was only a couple of days back into my job that I just had this strong sense in my gut that it was time to do something different. On the surface, it would seem like you're working at a toy company. What perfect place to be a working parent? <laughs> And to spend all of your your professional time focused on bringing joy and creativity to kids' lives, but I also recognize that if if that path continued, I was going to consistently be one of the last parents to pick their kids up at daycare. That I wasn't going to have the flexibility that I needed to be able to take them to doctors' appointments or be there for their performances in the way that I that I wanted to. And While I didn't necessarily plan it at that point, a series of explorations happened where I was approached about an opportunity at the Drucker Institute. And my initial reaction was, I'm not a marketing, I'm sorry, I'm not a a leadership development person. I'm not a nonprofit person, but I'm so curious about what you're doing. I want to learn more. Let's keep going out on coffee dates. They presented me with an offer and I was still feeling the golden handcuffs the golden handcuffs of a corporate job. My son was also in daycare at my employer's facilities. And they said, take your time to make the decision. And then eight days later, I was made redundant. And it was (laughs) like the universe was saying, okay, you want to change and you're afraid to do this. We're going to just help you, help you along. (laughs) And it it even contributed to my decision to go full-time as a coach because I wanted to have that flexibility of I can continue to work hard when I want to, but I get to do it on my terms instead of someone else's. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so this kind of coincided, I'm guessing, with with you guys meeting as well.
2: This was a few years before we we met. So I, I left my corporate job in 2014. John and I met five years later.
1: Quick one from me. If you're in recruitment and you're struggling to convert applicants and indeed find diverse candidates for your business or for your clients, then we may have the answer for you. Check out Volcanic.com. Diversely's d D&I hiring tools are now included within it, all helping you to build a world-class recruitment website as well as having a digital marketing platform all in one. Head to volcanic.com to find out more. Check it out. And what happened? We talked a little bit about that kind of meeting of minds and and so on. And actually, I met my co-founder at a panel event as well. And I remember the conversation that I had with her after that panel event and just thinking oh my god this is amazing we have so much in common. i mean it wasn't you know it was a couple of years later that we actually got together as co-founders but um there is something about that isn't there kind of going to to an event where you are mm-hmm. speaking candidly and openly about something and somebody in the audience goes yeah i'm 100 i'm with you on this like what happened after that
0: well here, here's something and you're bringing up something that i haven't thought about for a while which is for me because I did not have any you know, gay male role models at roles that were higher than mine, mm-hmm. I was kind of like forging my own way and, and naively doing it, just like making every single mistake along the way. And it was painful. It was really painful for me because I didn't learn the easy way. And I was afraid to ask for role models because I was afraid of rejection. Like who would want to be a mentor to some gay guy? So when Peter and I met, what made me really excited was the fact that together... We had these complementary talents and backgrounds, and we could help people not have to go through the pain that we had to through work. And for me, that was really critical because coaches just tend to be people who are you know, very people-oriented, relationship-oriented. And it's hard. It's hard. And it's gotten harder with all the different distractions in social media. So the ability to be able to use the technology to help reach people who come from different backgrounds, who share this thing in common, and how we can make their lives a little bit easier by being within a community that is there designed for them, that was just felt like a no brainer to me. And when Peter asked me that question over lunch in Westwood, California, West, West, Westwood in Los Angeles by UCLA. I was like, yeah, let's do it. I've been thinking the same thing. And, uh, but it it takes a while. Like, you know, you have that spark, like you're saying Helen, when you meet somebody and you realize, oh, this is the person I'm meant to do it with.
1: Yeah, it does. And I think, you know, it's all very easy kind of coming up with these ideas, but actually making it happen is a completely, completely different thing. And in terms of I suppose that that process I mean number one I have to say I'm surprised I am surprised to hear that this is still a problem in Los Angeles of mm-hmm. 2023. And I'm sure I won't be alone, you know, amongst mm-hmm. for, for thinking that, like, for sure, where I am in, in the Middle East, yes, 100%, of course, it's a problem. In so many other areas of the world, you would presume it to be a problem. I think in LA, you presume that, you know, 50% of the population is probably gay anyway, so it's just easy, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm joking, obviously. But you know, my point is, I am surprised that this is still something that needs to be resolved in the workplace.
2: It can happen in very subtle ways. It's not always the in the big gestures that who gets the promotion. It can happen in the ways that can make us feel isolated or make us feel a little bit smaller. I'll give you an, an example. There was a, a time when there was a meeting where people I worked with from around the world were coming together and I was preparing to go on a trip for a friend's wedding in Argentina. And it also happened to be the gay world cup that was happening in Buenos Aires. And in an attempt to make connection with my Latin American colleagues, all of whom were several levels senior to me, I talked about this world cup. I said, I didn't even know there was such thing as a gay world cup. And in my mind, I'm connecting with them on a shared love of soccer or or football as they would, would call it. And my manager took me aside. He was a straight ally and he was really supportive of me. And he was giving me some advice of like, I really, I want you to be careful about talking about things like that in front of them. And I said, well, why? He's like, well, I don't want them to say bad things about you. And there were so many emotions that came in in that. In one sense, it was very sweet that he was very protective of me and he wanted only good things for me. In another sense, I also felt like sad that that was even something I needed to think about and a little bit emboldened of like, well, okay, they are in positions of power, but they're not in positions of power right now where they could directly impact my career. Mm -hmm. So I'm making the conscious decision that I'm okay with them talking about me behind my back about that. And that's their problem, not mine, but it, it did still sit with me.
1: It makes me feel really sad hearing you say that, because it is just such a blow, isn't it, when someone says that to you? And you know, obviously, I've, I've not been in that specific position, but I can, I can feel that feeling. I know exactly how that feels, and it just chips away at your confidence, at your ability to speak your mind and be yourself at work. And that then also, you know, presumably takes away confidence from other elements of you know what what you're trying to do as well.
0: Yeah, yes. but you know how. Helen- going back to the piece that you were talking about too, like what Peter just shared is something that we as LGBTQ plus folks experience probably daily. And not only does it chip away at the confidence, but one of the things that it does is it just reminds us constantly that we're other. It makes us feel less than, and you know, what, what happens in the workplace is that If you're walking around feeling like you're othered or if you're feeling like you're less than and that your contributions aren't equally as important as others, guess what? You're not going to be doing your best work because you don't have a system around you that supports it. And, you know, the statistic, sadly, is that, you know, just still around 50 percent. I think it's just around it right now of folks who are actually LGBTQ plus, they are not out at work for a variety of reasons, including safety, right? including all these microaggressions that Peter just mentioned, including the fact that they may live or work in a company whose values are not exactly aligned with theirs, but it's a job to them and they need to have it.
1: Yeah. Again, we spoke to somebody in Europe, actually, Diego, who works in the space he's lived between Switzerland and Spain and that you know we talked a little bit about the situation in Europe around coming out and it's not straightforward it is very complicated it can affect your career and it depends what kind of industry you're in as well i think you know you always kind mm-hmm. of assume that communications and more creative industries it's it's more accepted but clearly that is not the case so for you guys you know setting up the group how long did it take you and you know, when did you feel that it was starting to have some some impact and a kind of takeoff point?
2: The first cohort, I'd say it took us a couple of months to, to form. We auspiciously started in January of 2020, and our plan was <laughs> to have one session monthly in person and one virtual. The universe had other other plans, and so we quickly had to pivot to virtual. But I remember even in the first session, someone went in quick with some, some coaching challenges that were very real around questions as significant of like, am I going to be able to make payroll on my startup Mm -hmm. in the next three weeks? Mm -hmm. And what I, I quickly realized is that leadership is lonely and it's, that's not something that would be so easy for him to talk about with a lot of people within his organization that, that would spread like wildfire and Mm -hmm. to, to create some space For him to voice his worries without any negative consequences, to explore what different options were within his control to take action on, and then to do something about it was really empowering for him. Uh, I still coach this person three years later, and he will often draw back on moments like that and recognizing what a significant role it plays and some of the obstacles he's been able to overcome because of it.
1: And what kind of people do you have joining the group now? Where are you at with it all?
0: We're in year four of it, like, and really proud of it. It has incredible sustaining power. You know, we started off thinking we wanted to create a group where there were peers, right? But from different industries, so that people can speak openly about their challenges, but not feel like there's a competition because they're in the same industry or their companies may compete. And we had a cross section of folks initially, so we had people who were as young as twenty eight, people who was as um, old as fifty plus, and they were. But the thing that was the thread is that they were all in management roles. And what the beauty of that particular group that Peter's talking about is that the young folks informed the older folks and vice versa about kind of like what it's like to be a younger person that works today, what it's like to be a leader or CEO. Over time, our groups have tended to be a little bit more older, so I'd say like 35 plus. They're men who are in positions of power to make you know real key changes within the work and their their goal is to kind of create not only like a, a better space for themselves to feel safe and comfortable at work, even if it's the company that they founded, but also just to create that space for, for others. And now what we're seeing is that there's such a demand for this type of work that Peter and I are doing that we may expand it. And we probably will going into the next year so that we could do it for more groups, maybe at different levels as well.
1: Okay. And, and would you consider bringing in, though, so like women, for example, would you consider bringing in, Where's the kind of boundaries if they're already on that?
2: That was something that we, we did a lot of exploring and asking, even when we decided to create it, because a lot of the reason for creating this was to create a sense of belonging and, and inclusion. And when we started asking people what would interest them most, where we heard the most interest were from men within the LGBTQ community. When Mm -hmm. we spoke to trans people, they wanted to do an experience with other trans leaders, the same for uh, non-binary people. So with a little bit of caution, we decided better to start with something, which we initially branded it as the gay men's circle. We quickly realized that not everybody identified with the label of of gay. And Mm -hmm. so this year, We've expanded that to a broader definition of of gay, bisexual, and queer men's circle. And that would be inclusive of trans people that identify as men and see themselves as part of that community. And it was a a process for us to get there. Now, when it comes for, for women, I would love for there to be a cohort for queer women. Realistically, John and I are probably not the best people to facilitate that. But we try to create an atmosphere and as we'll support any of our, our colleagues. And ho- I hope that there will be one soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You kind of need a, a sister cohort, don't you, really? Somebody, somebody who's been through these experiences as you guys have very firmly and can help on that front. And do you find that similar themes come up? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, is it around safety? Is it around the microaggressions that you mentioned? Are there people in the circle who've not come out yet, for example?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, good questions. So yes, yes, and yes. Uh, Yes, we've had people that we've actually helped go through the coming out process later in life. You know, people who are married, going through divorce, and we as a circle of peers help them navigate their way through that at home and at work. And it was really powerful. And, you know, Peter and I still work with these folks, even after the groups, and some of those folks come back. The other thing is that these groups form such a tight-knit community that these relationships endure over time. And we, we know that some of the folks who had the best you know, experiences are still connected and forming their own businesses together. Because like, that has literally become the power of our alumni network. So yeah. we have seen that there have been differences. Everyone from, I want to come out, to I want to make a transition, to I want to change my whole life. Or I just got laid off and I need to figure out how do I get a new job and how do I come out again to a whole new group of people. So there are so many nuances in our experience as queer men that we need to really be there for each other to navigate our way through it.
1: And I guess it's that there's just a huge ripple effect, right? You know, as you say, obviously they come with their own specific experiences and and things that they're moving through but as leaders as men in the community as you know husbands whatever it might be that experience is then multiplied when they've gone through this process with you or or they're having these conversations Mm -hmm. they take Mm -hmm. those away into the real world
2: right Mm -hmm. i recently heard a story that two alums from our program have started an experience together one is a leadership development executive the other one owns a retreat center and so they're partnering together on an experience, and they've invited one of the other alums to come. and it was like just recognize like watching all of the the wheels in motion was really exciting. on the the question of other common topics, we do have some recurring themes that we often anticipate that people will want to explore, um, potentially things like leadership presence, or I'm sorry, leadership mindset, or understanding and unpacking imposter syndrome. But at the beginning of each cohort, we send them out a survey and get a sense of what is in particular is of interest to each of the members of this group. And then we we customize the curriculum. The current cohort that we have, there are a lot of people that are in transition. And so for the first time, we brought in some exercises around understanding their standout strengths and developing the language to speak to the things that they do well that give them energy. Uh, and we wouldn't have known to do that if they hadn't shared that input in the survey.
1: Yeah, so it's all, it's all quite tailored. And and how long are the, you know, just for people out there who might be interested in finding out more about this, how long are the cohorts and how do you how do you become involved?
0: Sure. The cohorts are typically six months and we meet probably once every two weeks. So there's ample time for all everyone to actually have a really robust experience within the groups. We keep them to six to 10 because we want them to be intimate. We want people to really get into the stuff, feel safe to be vulnerable. And the way to, to find us is to go to evolution.team. And when you go to evolution.team, go into coaching and then scroll down to, to circles and you'll see the queer men, the gay and bisexual and queer men circles that we lead. And it's a great opportunity even just to reach out, like, if, you know, people in the audience who are interested in it, whether they're allies, by the way, who want to potentially explore it for the folks on their teams or maybe for their employee resource groups, or if you're interested in joining it yourself, you know, to learn a lot more about it. Um, there's absolutely no obligation for anybody who wants to put their name down on the list and reach out to us. It's really just like, let's start a conversation.
1: And what have you found, I guess, the most rewarding on this journey? You know, whether it's kind of personally or or whether it's through the groups and and all the work that you're doing, is there a thing that you kind of think this has made it all, all worthwhile?
2: I think the most rewarding thing for me is to to reconnect with a client that perhaps I haven't spoken to in six months or maybe even a year, and for them to share what is going on in their lives today, what progress have they made. And then I don't ask for this, but they'll often share, there was this thing that happened in the circle or this thing that happened when you and I were coaching. And uh, I remember this thing. And because of that, I did this, this, and this. And... It helps me recognize the impact that we're having. It's not just in the moment that someone leaves a session feeling better about themselves; they're really changing their lives because of it.
1: Yeah, there's kind of this compound effect, isn't there? Of just you know one thing sticking out and then starting a bit of a a bit of a wave, which you know presumably hits so many different aspects of of their lives as well.
0: Yeah, I, lo- I love that feeling, Peter. When people say, "Remember when we talked about this? That really changed the way I looked at something," and now I'm experiencing this. Um, yeah,
1: and you never know what that thing is going to be either, because for you it can be something so innocuous that you can't, you don't even remember it coming up in the
0: conversation.
1: I've been part some of these these groups, you know, from different angles and what have you, and you just never know.
0: Yeah, you you don't know, and sometimes I think to myself. Oh, okay. I don't remember that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. So awesome.
2: I spoke with a a former client yesterday and she says, I distinctly remember you telling me where I was, what I was doing, and what I was talking about. You said, I think your job is quietly killing you. And she said, like, it was this moment of clarity. I wish I remembered it in the level of detail that
0: she did, but it clearly had an impact. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Words matter, Helen, as you know.
1: Exactly, oh God yeah exactly. I mean it's it's been such a journey for you guys and I imagine how do you feel being on it together I suppose is is my last question.
2: I think the best word for me to use is grateful. like I feel like I've been able to go farther and faster because I have John as a partner in this experience.
0: I feel the same way. Peter's an amazing partner in this experience. And I feel like with the momentum we have, we have so much more opportunity to help folks and we do something that's very different than what other folks do. Um, and that's just really rewarding. And when you find somebody who is a great partner and you know there's a demand for it because society is not really set up to help us su- succeed, well, you just think about the opportunities. It's just exciting.
1: It's It's very unique, I have to say. And that's why I really wanted to get you both on on the podcast. And October the 11th is National Coming Out Day. What does that mean to you and, and how are you going to celebrate?
2: I do this every month for Pride Month, and I would make as much sense to do it for National Coming Out Day. I usually set some intention, and I don't quite know what it will be in o- October. But the most recent one for Pride Month, I was reflecting on what does it, allyship mean? What does allyship mean within the LGBTQ community? And then a second component of it it for me was really reflecting on how much is different in my life now versus before I came out. And in particular, it might sound trivial, but there was a a comforter I bought as my first purchase when I first arrived in Los Angeles. This is my first job outside of my, my home state. I was really excited to have this. And my son moved into his own bedroom in June, and I was able to give him this this comforter that had been in storage for a good 15 years. And
0: it was recognizing like all that, all that is different now.
1: Yeah. A lot. Right.
0: You know, for me, Helen, it's interesting. The thing that popped into my head first is that it's probably because of the political environment here, uh, much harder this year than it was in the previous years for folks to feel comfortable at work because of all of the attacks on the LGBTQ plus community, especially for trans folks. So I'm I'm thinking a lot about this year, about how to increase the level of safety for folks, and how to make it feel joyous to still come out, because there's joy in coming out, and because it means that you're being yourself. It means that you're entering into authenticity, uh, and and the possibility of deeper connections with people. And I am so fearful for folks who may feel like the environment's not safe enough for them. And when I think about this year in particular and National Coming Out Day, I think about what work can we do as leaders in the community to help that path remain easy for folks and to help companies to celebrate the diversity they have within their employees.
1: I think that's fantastic. You know, you you've you've both given such sort of impactful answers on that from both a personal and, and a professional level. And I think that's why this is working so well and and why we can have um, this incredible conversation around this stuff, because it is both personal and professional for you both.
0: 100%.
1: Yeah. And that's so, that's so clear to see. I know you guys out there can't, can't see John and Peter when they're speaking, but um, it kind of just shines out of their faces. So I just want to say a huge thank you to you both for making the time today and just for all the work that you're doing. I think it's, it's groundbreaking. It's a very unique approach as I said, and I really hope that one of these days you can break out of Los Angeles and offer this all over the world. That's my ambition for you.
0: <laughs> yes, we would love that. We are now doing it across the country so we have we welcome people virtually because of a uh, post-pandemic world all over the country and we've even had some people who are in Mexico and Canada. So yeah, look for us. We want to expand and we know that there's a a desire for what we do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think lots of people listening will be very interested in finding out more about that. Um, We'll put all the information in the show notes. And for now, John and Peter, thank you so much. And I hope we can catch up again soon.
0: Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you, Helen, for all the work that you do.
1: Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much to Peter and to John for being with us on the podcast. There was a lot to take away from that. And thank you to them for being so hugely transparent about their journeys, not just from a work perspective, but also from a family and personal perspective. They've obviously come a long way from their initial explorations in the world of work to where they are now, being so comfortable to talk about who they are and helping other people to do the same, which is really kind of what this podcast is all about and thanks very much to everybody for tuning in and for listening to the journeys of the allies and activists in this space who I so much admire. And if you want to find out a little bit more about how we work and perhaps some of the resources that you can tap into as an individual or a business around diversity and inclusion, then do feel free to reach out to me, Helen Maguire, or indeed head over to diversely.io or our brand new home of volcanic.com. And I will catch you next time. See ya.